True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What's up and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Wednesday, February 2nd. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. And welcome to our first mailbag of the offseason. Keep sending those questions in. Email us at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Though I might have an updated email address coming for you soon. Or leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and drop your question in the review. Either way, if you just enjoy the podcast, we would appreciate a, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, before we get into the questions here, I wanted to ask you guys, because we haven't really talked about it, like we've hinted around and we've you know, given some brief updates on what's going on between the the players and the, the MLB owners right now. Uh, they just met yesterday on Tuesday. They're going to meet again on Wednesday. We'll see what happens. Uh, but Chris, I guess we'll start with you first. W- what's your best guess? I, obviously no one knows, but like, where do you think this is headed? Like, uh, a delay to the season, two weeks, a month. What's your best guess right now? I mean, the nice thing is we have a very recent precedent for how long they would need to get the season started. And that's the 2020 negotiations based on the the COVID protocols. And so I believe with that, it was just about four weeks exactly from the start of training camp or spring training to the start of the regular season. And I think it was like three days before training camp where they agreed to the deal so i do think we don't really have to worry about the season getting delayed until probably march 1st just you know if if they were going to go with the late march start that that has become typical if they wanted to start the first week of april that gives us another week so i think there is still some flexibility where the there's still some time before the the seasons really or any part of the season's at risk and at this point, I, I would be surprised if we missed, if we lost games this season. I wouldn't be surprised if it was delayed a little bit. But with a week, with a month left, with negotiations ongoing, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I, I don't know. It, it still sounds like they're quite a ways away. Right. And I don't know how bridgeable some of these gaps are, but I, I think the stakes are too high to lose games. And, yeah. and I, ma- I maintain that it's always going to sound like they're a ways away until the agreement yeah. happens. Oh, I, I remember uh, 
the the 2010 2011 NBA lockout that cost the first two months of the NBA season. I mean, that was got every night negotiating for like a month and it never sounded like they were all that close until, yeah, until you get close until you start to see the horizon. Um, so, you know, having gone through that, I, I believe I was still working at the, uh, actually, no, I was already at CBS sports. That was 10 years ago. That was my, like right after I got hired. Um, things haven't gotten that bad yet in terms of, you know, the negotiations it, it but I guess you, you'd rather see some, more frequency of these meetings. You know, these guys don't have that much going on. Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> let's do it every day. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Cautiously optimistic is one Chris Towers. I'm, I'm all about it. So let's let's make that happen. Scott, any quick well, thoughts? Cautiously optimistic that the season will happen. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> uh, Scott, any quick thoughts on, on where you think this is headed right now? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm all signs point to a delay to the start of spring training. Though, though again, I, I think I think it could change abruptly, but I'm I'm going with the people who are most plugged in, and that's what they're saying right now. But I agree with Chris that I don't think the season's going to be shortened. And I, I don't even really think the season's going to be delayed because, you know, spring training is longer than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even if there's a delay to spring training, that doesn't have to change the timeline for everything else. All right. Well, you heard it here. Let's uh, let, let's keep that rolling. Uh, I'm with you guys. I, I've been pretty optimistic this whole time as well. I mean, I feel like most people in like the industry, I know that they're just doing their jobs. They're reporting what's happening, but it feels like everyone else is being pretty negative about it, but uh, we'll cross our fingers and, and hope for the best here. Let's move into the questions. This one's from Andrus Jones. Hello, Frank and the gang. I'm in a 15 team five by five head to head keeper league with daily moves. I listen to your show every day and I'm a waiver wire turner, which helped me win the league last year. Thanks. Well, we appreciate you. I have the wheel pick this year. We keep 10, and my keeper starting pitchers are Otani in the 6th, Chris Sale in the 18th, Justin Verlander in the 20th, Shane Boz in the 24th, Shane McClanahan in the 25th. If this were your staff, would you use one of your first two picks to take a stud pitcher or grab the two best hitters? My other keepers are Matt Olson, Wander Franco, uh, Marcus Simeon, and then Spencer Torkelson and... Class A? I guess that's a manual Class A. Um, all right, so what do you guys think? Given that pitching staff, Otani, Sale, Verlander, Boz, McClanahan, 15-team league. Um, I, you're kind of stuck in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Between, like, you definitely need, like, that can't be your pitching staff. That can't be your your the core of your pitching staff, at least. I don't, I mean... It could work out, but yeah, Sale and Verlander are risky. Otani's not going to give you ace product or ace innings, uh, and Boz and McClanahan are right iffy. But I don't think you have good enough hitters to not. So I, I kind of think you you probably split it in half and take one and one. Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends who's available. I mean, it yeah. it, it might be obvious given the quality of hitter versus pitcher that's available. And I guess we're to assume that you play on Yahoo or one of those other sites that splits Otani into two different players and you only have the pitcher version yeah. because you listed them among your pitchers. If it's if it's a site that like CBS where you, you can move them to either spot, then you should probably list them with your hitters and, and then that makes it clear that you should go after pitching early. Yeah, I don't think just pitcher Otani is worth a six round pick. Or if so, or if he is, it's 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 not it, yeah. a great it's value. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, this person does have 
uh, surplus value in terms of Sale and Verlander and McClanahan sure. in terms of their where they're being drafted. So, um, yeah, like you're right uh, in a vacuum. Otani in the sixth probably probably not great there. But you also have to keep in mind 15 team league. If everyone's keeping 10 players, that's sure 15 um, team league does. Yeah. There's you know. Who's going to be the best pitcher at, at the one-two turn? I don't know, but I think the answer is, uh, I think I agree with Chris. I think you probably want to go with one and one. You you need at least one more, I think, like surefire pitcher who's going to give you some innings there um, compared to those guys. Scott, what do you think? You, you're good with that, one and one? Yeah, I, I mean, if, if it's if it's a pitcher that really doesn't deserve it, I, I wouldn't force the issue. Sure, right. And same thing if it's a hitter, but, you know, ideally one and one, sure. All right, this next one's from Brendan Sargent. If the name sounds familiar... That's because he was the Jeopardy champ back in season 37. Oh, I don't wow. I don't know when season 37 was, but it was part of his little signature on the bottom of the email and I looked into it and I was like, "Wow, that's that's true. This guy actually I am, I am such a Jeopardy aficionado. <laughs> I have those names filed away, baby. Every winner, every season. I'm just joking, of course. But yeah. that, that's, that's cool. I wish I could say I was a Jeopardy winner. Uh, I couldn't tell if you were being serious for a second there, Scott. Uh, well, let's answer his question. Looking for advice here, I could keep six of these seven players at the rounds listed in parentheses for context six by six with OPS and quality starts. It's a 10-team league with five outfielders. So Bryce Harper in the first, Kyle Tucker in the second, Max Scherzer in the third, Jared Kelnick in the 17th, Freddie Peralta in the 23rd, John Means Business in the 25th, Alex Kirilov in the 28th. We can keep the players at that round for one year, then after that they revert back to being one of your first six draft picks. Definitely keeping Harper and Tucker, Kirilov is such a steal at 28 and it feels criminal not to keep him, but I love Kelnick too and feel uh, feel really good about him. Ugh! Alright, what do you I guys think, think? I think John doesn't mean business. In this case, I, I mean, I would, I'd be fine with keeping him in round twenty-five, but I, he does appear to be your worst keeper here. I yeah. think that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's between Means and, and Karloff because the the round difference there doesn't matter that much. Um, so, you know, sure. it, if you want to have that third pitcher, it's fine to take Means, but he's. I don't know if the upside is. As high if Kirilov clicks. Means and Kirilov are both in my breakouts 2.0. Ooh, all right. Yeah, I've seen some I've seen some love recently for John Means with the uh, walls there in left field getting pushed back a little bit in Camden. It can only help. I'm sorry, 1.0. I haven't written 2.0 yet. Go ahead. <laughs> I was starting to panic. Like, wait, are, are those two? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chris, you and me both, man, because I would have had to drastically <laughs> change this week's schedule to make that happen. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> no 2.0 yet, and I'm with you. I, I think I'm going Alex Kirloff here over John Means Business. This was from Ben in Reno. I have never won my home league, and it eats at me every year, but I think there may be a design flaw that I haven't had the guts to try exploiting yet. <laughs> the league is a 16-team head-to-head categories league, four teams in four divisions. Division winners and two wild cards make the playoffs. But we have 13 categories, seven pitching, and six offensive. Uh, so runs, home runs, RBI, average, steals, and total bases. And then for pitching, you have the five standard, uh, and then quality starts, and holds are the additional ones there. Given the unbalanced go- uh, scoring towards pitching, I've thought about going all in on pitching during a draft one of these years, maybe targeting one offensive category too, Average or steals? Question mark. So offset some variation uh, in certain categories on a week-to-week basis. 
In a year when everyone seems to be targeting hitters in drafts, at least early, is this the year I finally go all in on pitching? I think if you're trying to exploit the makeup of this league, I think the way to do it is Marmol strategy. Because you've got potentially four categories that you could dominate with reliever heavy pitching staffs. Uh, obviously depends on minimum innings pitched and stuff like that, but it's four out of the seven there rather than just two out of five. ERA uh, whips, saves, and holds. Yeah. yeah. And then six of those seven hitting categories are just counting stats. So you could just go volume, volume, volume a hitter and relief pitcher heavy. And that could put you in a, in a space where even if you punt batting average, even if you got a bad batting average because you've got Alberto Mondesi and Joey Gallo and you just go for extreme guys like that, I mean, you could potentially be in line to be um, you know, very, very good in, what, 10 of the 14, 13 categories? I, I like where you're going with this. And it, we actually just wrapped up our headset categories mock draft. <clears throat> and something that Scott did is that he waited on pitching and he took a bunch of these veteran starting pitchers late that are going to give you a lot of volume. The Adam Wainwrights, Kyle Hendricks, Zach Greinke. So I agree that, you know, maybe you, you target one or two like stud closers. You grab some other relievers that are going to give you lots of strikeouts, some holds, and you're starting those most of the time. And then I think maybe towards the end of your draft, just take some of these like veteran volume starting pitchers just throw them in there and see if they can get you a few wins or strikeouts and then maybe even somewhat compete in that category. I, Chris, I think you're onto something well, in like going after the Marmol strategy, but I maybe would take it one step further and maybe just give myself a chance by drafting some of those veteran starting pitchers late. Well, those those veterans might go against what you're trying to accomplish in ERA, um, but I, I don't know that I'd go as extreme as the Marmol strategy, which is very reliever heavy. Uh, I think Actually, the the only league I won and what was a bad year for me last year was the podcast for the People League, which is also a 16-team at that categories league. Obviously, not the expanded categories, just traditional 5 by 5 But what I did was I went heavy at starting pitcher, and then I just went for sluggers. I just sold out for home runs, uh, which I think would work even better in your league because you're kind of counting home runs twice there, home runs and total bases in two separate mm-hmm. categories. And... Um, so if you want to try going heavy on pitching, that would be that would be the second part of the equation, I think, is to specifically go after hitters that you know are going to hit a lot of home runs and don't worry so much about batting average or stolen bases. Unless you happen to get out Alberto Mondesi at a good price. Like that would be the one exception. Oh, you guys are absolutely right. I, again, like the only category that is not affected by hitting home runs or doubles and triples here is is steals. So it's independent of anything else. All these other five hitting categories are tied together. So I agree. I mean, just load up on these these mashers. Uh, I four category. I guess in this case, five category contributors if you count total bases. Uh, yeah, and and just look away from steals. Uh, I think that's the way to go. So, uh, good luck, Ben. Let, let's let us know. Let us know how it works out this year. This one's from our guy Shine Dog, who uh, is one of our most frequent emailers, and we appreciate you, bud. In my home league, ten teams, head-to-head points with roto rosters, corner infield, middle infield, five outfielders, and big benches. I am ninth overall. I am picking ninth overall, assuming all the studs other than Tatis, Devers, Bieber, and Tucker are available. 
who would you pick at pick nine and 11 overall, specifically with these keepers in mind? I will just say, before even answering this question, it's going to be impossible for us to know who's available, but we'll try our best. <laughs> um, at shortstop, he has Tatis as a keeper. He has Jesse Winker, J.D. Martinez, Trent Grisham, Eloy Jimenez, starting pitcher, Zach Plesak. I'm stuck with him thanks to you guys. Well, I mean... <laughs> Thanks to Scott, I would say. Uh, Chris right. Paddock. <laughs> uh, and You're then, yeah, I don't know. Uh, please try not to keep him <laughs> if you don't have to. Uh, SP Anderson here. I'm, I'm going to assume that's uh, Ian Anderson. The reason I mentioned my keepers is my outfield is almost full already. So do I wait on that last outfield outfielder or do I consider a Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna? Maybe I could double dip SP here with some combo of Burns, Bueller, and Cole. Yeah. For a points league, given that the only good pitcher you have right now is Ian Anderson. I, I think you got to go after those starting pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be tough to pass on a Harper trout or Acuna type player, but yeah, given the, the, the way your roster's constructed, it would probably have to be, uh, and, and that it's a points league. Like that's, the, yeah. that's the biggest differentiator for me. Yeah. And you already have a stud hitter in Fernando Tatis. I mean, legitimately a top three pick in every league, regardless of format. Um, so even in a points league. So, yeah, I mean, at starting pitcher, other pitchers are being kept, obviously. I, I assume the, the big three here are not because you mentioned them being available. So, yeah, if you can grab any two of those, even if you can get, like, a Scherzer or a Woodruff or, or a Zach Wheeler, just because other players are already kept, I think it's something I would look into based on um, the players you have here on your team. This next one's from Samuel. I play in a deep auction NL-only keeper league with third base being so shallow. I am in a bit of a pickle. We have to give in our keepers a week before the draft. And as of now, Nolan Arenado, Austin Riley, and Justin Turner are under contracts and unavailable. I won't know about Machado because the team that had him can give him a contract and will only have to overpay by a few dollars. I bought Kibrian Hayes last year for $16, which means I could sign him this year for $19. Based on last year, that's overpaying, but still has potential upside. Do I keep him or risk it and hope Machado will be available who I don't mind overpaying for with the shallow position or totally punt on third base and just pay $1 for whoever I can get. Yeah. So I'm kind of out on Cabrian Hayes. Like this is, this is, this is all of my mistakes coming home to roost (laughs) between, between Hayes and and Zach Plesak in the last question. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think you have to be so desperate even in an NL only league. I mean, that's the only reason you're considering it. Right. But Mm -hmm. to, to, to invest 19 in Hayes, like Luis Arias. Yeah, um, Eduardo Escobar would be Patrick fine. Patrick Wisdom. Only. Yeah. Like, I, I would just, you're not getting a sure thing in Hayes anyway, so, you know, just gamble on somebody that you can pay much less for. Yep. Uh, I will point out that I am the highest on Cabrian Hayes, and in L only, I have him, I have him as an $18 player in Roto, so... It's not completely off, but I do agree with these guys. I don't think that you have to force it. I mean, look, obviously those big three that you mentioned are, are unavailable, but there, there's still some some other names going later on uh, in the National League that I, I think you might be able to get at a decent value. So throw them back. And and it, if nothing else, you can rebuy Cabrian Hayes for, I would imagine, probably cheaper than $19. So, price, so keep yeah. that in mind as well. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This next one's from Andres. Can you please make an assessment of Salvador Perez in 2022? At first, I thought he would not be repeating his 2021 season and therefore a good sell-high candidate. So I dove deeper and his career-high stats practically across the board were in both standard and advanced metrics, batted ball, stat cast, etc. In Is 2021 his absolute ceiling never to be repeated or do you believe that based on his underlying metrics, he actually has reached his prime and can sustain this level of production in 2022 and beyond? In theory, he should see more time as a DH with MJ Melendez called up, uh, being called up eventually. So his legs and overall fitness should have a better outlook in 2022. Is he a must keep? That is the final question there, uh, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a there, a lot of questions in that question, and the answer is yes to some and no to others. But okay, let, can he repeat it? Most likely, no. It was a historic season. No catcher other than Johnny Bench has ever led the majors in home runs and RBI. But he played 161 games. If you look at his 2022 ratios, obviously it was a short season, so the totals don't measure up. He had a 986 OPS in 2020. He was far and away the best catcher in fantasy that year, too. And, like, just give me two-thirds of last year's production. I, I think he's going to outshine every other catcher in fantasy. And that's obviously taken a big hit statistically. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving him much credit saying two-thirds of last year's production. So, On the other uh, hand, two-thirds of last year's production would be the second-best season of his career. Right, but my point so is, that's... like, clear, clearly something clicked for him in 2020 that then carried over to last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, just performance-wise, I think he's the best catcher, and he has this huge playing time advantage, 161 games. Like, you don't see that from a catcher. Yeah. So, I, like, I, I, I love Salvador Perez this year. Uh, I think it's such an advantage at a position where most every team is, is going to be weak that I, I was – saying when we did the when we on the youtube channel we we did a mock draft earlier and uh i was saying anytime he's available in round four i'm probably gonna take him and you did that and you stole him from me scott how dare you but overall i do i do agree with you go ahead chris yeah i think that's all fair um you know the one thing is like sometimes guys do just get hot sometimes guys do have a, a career season this was in all likelihood his career season that being said, I said that about 2020, and obviously he wasn't as good on a per-game basis, but he was by far the best catcher in baseball in 2021. So, you know, I, I don't really know. Like, his his plate discipline's a disaster, but it's never been good. Um, he just, he's been crushing the ball the last two seasons in a way that we've never seen from him before. So, it's hard to know if he's going to keep this up, but we're talking about historic level of catcher production at a position that generally doesn't age well. You know, so it, 
Yeah, he's by far the best catcher in fantasy. It's just you shouldn't expect a repeat of last season for sure. Yeah, nowhere close to that. If you look at the projection systems on Fangraphs, they all have him projected for between 34 and 40 home runs. Even 40, I, I would say, is, is pretty aggressive. But, you know, mid low to mid-30s at the catcher position with as much vol volume in terms of counting stats that he's going to provide just because yeah. he plays yeah. so much. I, yeah, The only I, other I catcher that. who had 30 this year was Mike Zunino, right? And he's obviously <laughs> a disaster at everything else. Correct. So, I mean, you, you'll take that. You'll take that, and they'll still be the best catcher in fantasy. I do remember reading a quote last offseason from him because I was trying to figure out, like, how did he get to this level? And something that he mentioned was that while he was hurt, I believe it was Tommy John surgery. Is that what he had the year before? Mm -hmm. yep. yep. Yeah, so he said while he was hurt, he kind of, like, rethought through his process, and he wanted to be more aggressive on pitches inside of the zone. So the plate discipline, you're right, Chris, it's still all over the place. He chases a lot of pitches. Swinging strike rate is high. But you look at his Z-swing percentage, and that's just the amount of pitches he swings at inside of the zone. Since the start of 2020, that's been much higher than any other year in his career. So when he's seeing pitches inside of the zone that he likes, he's taking advantage of those, and it seems like mm -hmm. that is part of the approach that has really helped take his game to the next level. So something I noticed there with, uh, with Salvador Perez. Let's move on to the next one. Oh, there was something else from Andrew that I wanted to point out here, Scott. P.S. Scott, your All That Fit for 8 Bits uh, podcast was insanely entertaining. So there you go, Scotty. You have a fan. I appreciate that. <laughs> this next one's from Cody. Fellas, please grade Wait, my... You skipped a... You actually skipped one. Did I? Well, yeah. I the, I... Last, the Salvador Perez question was from Andres. <laughs> I, so I just read the, the, the ending of the question yeah. that I was supposed to answer. So this one's from Andrew. Andrew was the one who gave you the compliment on all that's fit for eight bits. Andres apparently did not like the podcast. No, he, he, I, he hasn't <laughs> heard it yet. That's Scott. the problem. Uh, <laughs> Andrew asked how to deal with Otani. Which is always a fun topic, right? What if you drafted, what if when you drafted Otani, he is only listed as one player, but when you draft him, you receive two separate players, Otani the pitcher and Otani the hitter. That way you can start either one or both in any given week. While using this method, if you were to choose Otani as a keeper, he would only be considered as one player, same as when he was drafted. Uh, same can hold it. Uh, if you were to drop Otani, you'd lose both the hitter and the pitcher and free up two lineup spots. Just a thought, and it might be very difficult or impossible to implement on the back end, but it seems really fair to me. Only issue is I uh, only issue I see with this solution is what to do for every pitcher that has to hit, and maybe this can be a thing only done for a pitcher who starts X number of games. Okay, um, what do you guys think there's overall no about it? Answer. I mean, pitchers are not going to hit anymore, assuming there's a universal DH, so there's that. But uh, Chris, what do you think about this? this We're four idea? years in. There's there's never been a perfect answer for what to do with Shohei Otani. This true. would actually make Shohei Otani slightly less valuable because he'd be taking up two two lineup spots or two roster spots. Um, whereas the current one is just treated as a normal player or a normal player with double eligibility. So if anything, this this makes him slightly less valuable, which I think reflects his real world value less. Because well, the value of Shohei Otani is that he's two players in one lineup, in one roster spot. This is it, one player in, or two players in two roster spots. If he's as good as he was last year, both pitching and hitting, you'll accept the then it doesn't matter. Yeah. lineup spot. Yeah, yeah. Because you'll, you'll just want both versions in your lineup as often but as you can. If, like his rookie season, he's only really hitting, right? then you've got a dead lineup spot, a roster spot. Yeah, mm -hmm. true. Good so it, it could be both a blessing and a curse, though. I I, I kind of like it, though, because you take the chance on if he is a pitcher 
like as valuable as he was last year as a pitcher, then you have that luxury of throwing him in your lineup. And especially in deeper leagues, like I talked about this, man. I had him in 15-team NFBC, the main event last year. It was my highest price point league. And it was frustrating because I had, you know, crap pitchers that I'm throwing out there. And Otani was in my utility spot. And I needed his offense, so I couldn't take him out. And I missed out on all of his pitcher production. And it sucks. I'm at the point, and I don't think it will ever be implemented, where I just think, Yes, he's one player. You can slot him in your lineup at either spot, and you get all the numbers. I'm with you, Scotty. Let's. I mean, that would make him the most valuable player in fantasy. But who cares? He probably should be. He just won AL MVP. I mean, he was considered the best, most valuable player in his league. Like, I don't think I don't see why that's reason not to do it. I guess part of the problem would be if he's not as good as he was last season, he would probably still be the best player in fantasy. You know, like the, okay. the four win, the four or five win version of Shohei Otani is probably still the best player in fantasy in that context. So you run the risk of over um, overrating him. I mean, you could if if he's not good as a pitcher, you start him as a hitter, and you get you get hurt by his pitching sure. stats in that scenario. So I don't I don't know I don't know that right. But if he's just if he's just pretty good at both, he wouldn't win MVP, but he would be still by far the best player in fantasy. Hmm. I don't think it would necessarily capture his real world value, but that's like, there's no answer. There's no right answer. You know, like there's, there's no way you can capture what he does without either overrating or underrating him. This, this game that we play is a, is a facsimile of the, the, the real game. And you know, he's a, he's an outlier of all outliers. So I don't know that there's never going to be a right answer for how to handle a player like this. I'll I'll present it to my bosses and and I'll probably get laughed at so, but I'll try. <laughs> Let's see what look because I'm all about it. I'm all about you know making Otani uh, as valuable in fantasy as he is in uh, in the real world. But alas, here we are from Cody fellows. Please grade my trade twelve team dynasty roto league with five minor league spots. I traded Nick Prado and Jose Miranda for Corbin Carroll. All right, Scotty. So. You've had a lot of the prospect list, the dynasty content coming out recently on the site. What do you think about this one? Nick Prado and Miranda for Corbin Carroll. I like I like Carroll. I know the Welsh loves him, but this seems kind of like a lot. What do you think? I mean, it's a shallower dynasty league. Yep. Only five in my only five minor league spots. So you're talking sixty total minor leaguers kept. Prado and Miranda are probably right on the fringe of deserving to be capped if only 60 minor leaguers are capped. So, True. Yeah. Yeah. Consolidate for the higher end prospect. I'm down with that. All right. So in, in another context where it's not just 60 players kept, it probably be too much. I well, and I might prefer just to have both just because the hit rate on prospects is so bad. Even right. Top 15 prospects that it, you'd rather have two bites at the apple for two sub elite guys. If it's the Scott White Dynasty League where 240 minor leaguers are being <laughs> yeah. kept, or actually that number's going up this year because we're expanding to 12 minor league spots. So it's going to be 288 minor leaguers are kept. Who and wants who Corbin wants to, Carroll is still a little ways away. Yeah, he is. He dealt with a shoulder injury last year, which kept mm-hmm. him out for most of the season, but, but the upside is still sky high for Corbin Carroll. Speaking of the Scott White Dynasty League, obviously you guys are part of it. Anyone else who's in the Scott White Dynasty League, if you're listening... I need prospects. So send those my way. Let's talk some trades. I know Scott won't let us trade in the offseason, but we're getting close. We're getting close to that to that point where uh, trade talks can start happening again. So 
I need some help. Help your boy out. This was from Joseph. Hey guys, thanks for all the great content all season long. Who would you keep for only one season in a head-to-head points league? Judge in round two, Kyle Tucker in round four, or Austin Riley in round 13? I'm leaning Riley, but wanted your advice. Yeah. Yeah, I think Riley is close enough to Tucker in overall value that I'll take the extra, you know, extra nine rounds of discount. If it was Roto, I think I would go Tucker. I, I do think there's bottom out potential with Riley, even though he was very good last season. Um, but yeah, Spicy. in points, I, I do think it's probably close enough. Yeah. So the way I'm looking at it is Tucker is typically a one, two turn pick and you're getting him in round four. Riley is normally like a fourth or fifth round pick. You're getting him in round 13. So you weigh that and out. That, I th- that doesn't scale linearly. You know, it's not yeah. like, well, mm-hmm. one's three, three rounds better than his value. One's nine rounds better than his value or eight rounds. Exactly. Yeah. You're right about that. So like the early, the early round guy is still much more valuable at a first round value. Yeah. And a fourth round pick. Than yeah. The, I mean, yeah, it's a close call. Yeah. It's close. If it was Roto, I would go Tucker. Because yeah. I think the, the answer is more clear. I, I would take Riley here, though. It, it is very close. Uh, I, I'm going to skip one of these. There's one other question I want to get to before we wrap up here. And this one's from Kevin. Uh, this was a fun one. I, I, I had some fun with it myself. So let's see what you guys think. Rank this player prior to 2021. This first baseman had played 153 games and produced a triple slash of 265, 334, 430 with 19 homers, 80 RBI, and 66 runs scored, zero steals. In 2021, he was limited to 117 games, but showed substantial improvement. He hit 292, 375, 517, with 27 homers, 63 RBI, 80 runs, and three steals. In 2022, he'll hit in the heart of a great lineup and a hitter's park. Where would you draft him? Mm, Outside the top 20 at the position. Outside the top 20. So th- this guy hit 292 with 27 home runs and only 117 games, Scott. You would draft him outside the top 20 at first base? Well, look what he did last year. He slugged 430. Come on, man. Mm. There's a lot of good, uh, there's a lot of first basemen out there that can give you power. All right. All right. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. All right. Yeah. Well, who is this player that we're talking about, that, that Kevin is talking about? It's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. if you remove all of his games from Dunedin and Buffalo last season. Now, I'm not saying he isn't a great player. I'm just wondering if we're sure he's early first-round great. He had an 892 OPS in MLB Parks last year, and he doesn't steal bases. I'd take Freddie Freeman over him, and he's going a full round later. Hot well, take, well, first, Kevin. Freddie first Freeman's of all, OPS was right around 890, right? <laughs> First of all, I looked at this backward. <laughs> if you play back my answer, it'll be clear. I thought the 292, 375, 517 slash line was prior to 2021. Yeah, that's why I was trying it to was. point it out, Scott. Yeah, it was. So I got it backwards. Sorry. Um, no, no. The, oh, okay. No, you mean 2021, the- that's what he slashed in 117 games outside of those parks he no longer plays yeah. in. Right. I mean, that's really good. Slash line still. You know? <laughs> it's an interesting point, though, and I, I wanted to answer this one because we haven't really talked about it, right? The fact that Vlad played in Dunedin and Buffalo, and those are like two standout parks in terms of like offensive park factors mm-hmm. last year. If you look at it, they, they both ranked very highly. 
he was still a very good player here. There's no doubt about that. In in only 117 games, 27 home runs that would still pace out to like a 35 home run hitter. Mm-hmm. But I I think it's a I think it's fair and it's something that we haven't really considered. So does it matter to you guys at yeah, all? Yeah, like it's like second half. Vladimir Guerrero had a 906 OPS, 288 batting average. Um, the RBI numbers were really weird. He only had like 38 RBI in 74 games, which is like a 85 RBI pace for a full season. That's bizarre in that lineup. Um, so I don't know how much you can take from that. But like that's probably not for a guy who doesn't steal bases. 290, 906 OPS. That's probably not a first round hitter. Or it's like a fringe first round hitter, but it's like, definitely it's like not Raphael like Raphael Devers. Yeah, it's definitely not, oh my God, this is one of the five best. Like this is this guy, you can overlook the fact that you don't get steals from him. He this is always going to be the case with guys who don't steal bases. And it's my mm-hmm. concern with Wander Franco's long term value if he's not a good base stealer, which I kind of think he's not. Um, this is the concern is that like you have to be, you don't have to be Juan Soto good. Juan Soto is, but you have to be Freddie Freeman good to be a consistent first rounder if you don't steal bases. Right. And even Freddie Freeman's always really been a fringe first rounder. Mm-hmm. And no, that's fair. I mean, like long-term while Wander Franco was considered, you know, the, the top prospect in baseball heading into last year, even if he, even if he turns into like a Xander Bogart type, that's that's still like a really, really good outcome for him. But that's just, yeah. you know, that's more of like a third, fourth round pick for fantasy. So, you know, maybe he doesn't eventually propel into like that first or second round value. I mean, this, we're, all, we're also talking about like a 20 year old. So like anything can happen right. with the guy. Right, right. But And it's like, yeah. OK, let's let's take his worst half and project it out over a full season. Like it's it's not fair to say oh well that's really who he is you know <laughs> no but it it's not the only it's not the worst half he's ever played you know it, it his career didn't start last year no I I, the, I get that I get point. that but, but yeah I I mean it just doesn't seem it it just doesn't seem reasonable to say I, I don't know I mean like I don't know if he can completely live up to last year's numbers but like if Rafael Devers is the worst case scenario. So be it. Yeah. You know, I, from the, Vladimir Guerrero. From this entire discussion, my, my biggest takeaway here, Scott, is that Vladimir Guerrero probably still has a really high floor, if that's what we're talking yeah. about. Well, I yeah. mean, that's what we saw the first two seasons, is even when he wasn't good. He wasn't bad. He was still an above-average major league hitter. Right. You know, I, I do think there's a chance that, like, we're probably overstating the difference between him and Freddie Freeman. You know, like, it, it, it mostly relies on with Vladimir Guerrero believing that 2020, 2021 is just the start of it, that like what happened before doesn't really matter. And maybe that's just the case. But like if you compare Freddie Freeman to Vladimir Guerrero going back to 2020, which is only an extra 60 games, Freddie Freeman's the better player. So it, it's sort of arbitrary cutoffs. Like Freddie Freeman was better in the second half of 2021. He was better in 2020, but Vladimir Guerrero was so much better in the first half of 2020. Right. So. But they're not random number generators. Sure, right, right. And Vladimir Guerrero is presumably on the upswing. Yeah. And and Freddie Freeman is 31. And so Mm -hmm. you would expect one to be better and one to be worse moving forward. But that's not always how it works either. So it's, there's uncertainty is all all, uh, that that you you have to say is that we're probably more sure that Vladimir Guerrero is better than Freddie Freeman than we should. But you kind of have to be, you know? 
Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense to me. All right, we're, we're going to wrap there. This is our first uh, mailbag of the offseason. We'll have a lot of these coming uh, throughout the next coming weeks, you know, next month or so, leading up to hopefully the start of the season. So continue to send your questions in. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.